Hello, welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. My name is Kimberly Trung, and Doug was so right about Night Stalker. He recommended Night Stalker, the Netflix docuseries, last week, and boy, oh boy, it is very good. My recommendation for you listeners this week is a podcast called Homecoming. I'm late to the bandwagon. It is a podcast that got turned into a television show, which got two seasons, but I really love the first season of the podcast. So I'm checking my way through that. To my virtual right, uh, the recommender of Night Stalker, podcast extraordinaire, I've got Doug Ameth. Literally never heard of Homecoming or the podcast or anything about that, so I may or may not check that out. My recommendation this week is a product. Oh. It is the Black & Decker Power Scrubber. If you ever have to do dishes by hand or pots or pans, this is a little, it looks like a small drill, and in effect it is a drill with a sponge on the end of it. It takes four <laughs> AA batteries, costs $15, and it scrubs with power your dishes. So you stick it in your pan, it spins around, and it is it is the best thing I own. I used to review gadgets. This is my all-time favorite gadget, even though it's just a kitchen utensil. Black & Decker Power Scrubber. Mm. I'm putting Do that it. on my Valentine's Day wish list. Oh, it's a very romantic gift too. So <laughs> I love home. I love home goods like that. And uh, I'm also going to introduce Paul Ducklin, who is struggling to come up with a music rec this week. Do you have one for no, us? No, I wasn't struggling. I was. Oh. I was simply trying to decide the first among equals for this week. I see. It wasn't that I didn't have a band to recommend. Okay. Um, it was just that I wanted to make sure that I would pick one that was would have the, the biggest impact on all those techies and programmers out there who are, let's face it, listening to the wrong kind of music <gasps> for coding. Oh, hot take. So... Uh, these guys are from uh, Rostock in Germany, and the band is called Gorm, G-O-R-M. Uh, they don't have a huge uh, catalogue, but you'll find them on Bandcamp. Very cool, instrumental, not quite, very fuzzy. Obviously, I'm recommending it. Um, but, you know, more, more leaned towards the sort of space rock side of things than... Uh, doom. Yeah, I had Gorm after college, like the summer after college, and it laid me up for a few, like a, <laughs> a month or so. It was pretty painful, but that's Gorm for you. Anyway, before we get into the headlines, I just want to quickly tease the oh no that will come towards the end of the episode. This one is the biggest mystery of all that we, uh, I, we're going to have to get unsolved mysteries on this one. But the only thing I will say about this oh no is even the best locked and secured computers can get viruses so stick around doug what's going on in the headlines okay we're going to talk about a chrome zero day browser bug that's found and you should guess what patch now mm -hmm. free coffee a belgian researcher has hacked a prepaid vending machine and pearl.com it's been a long strange saga it's still ongoing they got their domain back normal service has been restored so that's a that's good news but first fun fact did you know that the little triangle thingy on your GPS is modeled after the ship from Atari's Asteroids? It's a long story involving vector displays, triangles, and former Atari employees. Benj Edwards, who's a great follow if you like vintage computing, has a great write-up over on howtogeek.com if you're interested. Some good nostalgia in there. 
So, mm. what in, interested me about that is that the I did not realise that the asteroid ship in asteroids actually consists of five lines and not four. Yeah, it's cool. There's a little. There's a. There's a. There's a sketch of it by the original designer, and it's. 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 It's how to deal with the vector displays at the time you have to it's easiest to draw triangles on there so that it's a bunch of triangles with some edges cut off basically well the wow. the fewer sides in a polygon the uh, the quicker the beam gets around it of course the asteroids had lots of sides right so they they took up lots of time in the US we called asteroids gorms so this chrome zero day bug that's been found a i'd like to know what's going on here paul but perhaps more importantly does it affect all Chromium-based browsers or just Chrome? Because there are a lot of Chromium-based browsers out there. But what's the what's the story? Well, the story is, uh, in terms of what's affected, the two I can absolutely tell you about are Chrome itself. And so go and check that your version is 88.0.4324.150. So easy to remember Mine is. or above. Uh, but if you're using Edge, which is, of course, a Chromium-based browser... The 88 is the kind of the base Chromium version, and all the other numbers are are distinct for each user of the Chromium source. So on Edge, uh, you need 88.0.705.63. It couldn't be easier slash more complicated than that. Um, As for the other browsers, I don't know, but the good news is that pretty much every browser that uses Chromium, you'd hope, would have this fix in it by now. So if you just go and check that you updated in the last couple of days, I'm guessing you're all right. The the only the only platform that one can't be sure about, uh, as annoyingly as ever, of course, is Android. Um, because who knows when you're going to get your update there. And I guess the, the interesting part of this story is just how tight-lipped Google was about it, considering how loud and vocal they can be about bugs and zero days in other people's products when they want to be. Um, All they said basically is, Google is aware of reports that an exploit for CVE-2021-21148 exists in the wild. It's a heat buffer overflow in the JavaScript engine. And that's it. And then, as always, they say, you know, this update has come out. Windows, Mac and Linux... Uh, have received this update, which will roll out over the coming days slash weeks, which is, it's always a weird thing. I guess Google always puts that in because, you know, depending on who's consuming the source, it might take a long time. I would have thought they would have tried to be a bit more proactive about it in this case. But the good news is, like I said, as, as far as we can tell, Chrome and Edge definitely have the fixes because Google have said so and Microsoft has said so. So, Simply put, we can't tell you how the bug works exactly. We can guess it's some kind of driven by booby trap JavaScript in a web page, for example. But we do know that you need to fix or else uh, you could be one of the unlucky people who gets pwned by crooks. It's interesting, too. I think we talked about this last week with the Apple exploit. When, when a company says we are aware of something, it's like, did you find it or were you made aware of it? And by between the time that someone else found it and made you aware of it, how what's been going on? Because Apple was completely tight-lipped about it, and it seems like Google's kind of doing the same thing. So when they say oh, we're 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 aware, how long before you were actually aware? Yeah, I've we don't know. I went and clicked through on the link, and it 
to to find out more about it and uh, it still wants me to log in so it looks as though the the information I presume you could figure out if you really wanted to, but I, I sort of get Google's point, right? They've it's like they've finally come to the party that everyone else has been at for years. That this idea that disclosing every single exploitable vulnerability within seven days or however much they wanted it to be a few years ago may not be in the public interest because it kind of acts as a little bit of a beacon or a a light to a whole load of criminally minded moths that might other you might give if you give too many hints that make it too easy for too many people to figure how an exploit might work you know if you give them any hint even where in the code base to start looking which file to look at what sort of bug type of bug you're looking at you could actually shave days weeks or months off work the work of somebody who is determined to discover this bug from first principles if you like so i get their point yeah um they're saying we have done the fix it is available but even in the open source community there are some things which we'll keep closed for a while until we're kind of convinced that it's safe enough to to bleat to the whole world so I think that's a, that's a good middle ground. It's not being you're, you're not suppressing the knowledge. You're just controlling it in a way that maybe reduces the number of wannabe crooks who come steaming and going, "Hey, I can do that too." Yep. So as you say, welcome to the party, Google. It's a great party. Gorm is playing later. They're going to show up. <laughs> uh, the the I mean, the good news is that it seems like it's a relatively painless update according to comments people have commented on the article saying hey this is very easy um and reiterating yeah that's you know and that's a hats off to to uh to google and chrome and the same with microsoft and edge and firefox for that matter you know the the updates tend to take care of themselves I have never delayed. In fact, I use Firefox as my main browser and I'm regularly going help about Firefox so I can find as early as possible when there's a new update. I always click do it now and I have never had anything go wrong that stopped me doing my work, stopped me enjoying the internet. And, you know, there might be one or two things where you know, if you've, you've got a plug-in that stops working, you're thinking, well, fair enough. And so that that it really it really does show that that motto, patch early, patch often, you can apply it and the wheels do not inevitably come off every time, which some people seem to be afraid of. I'm also happy to report that the version on my Android phone is 152. So I'm actually ahead of ah, the game. okay. That's a, that's right. a Samsung. I, I presume there have been other updates, you know, obviously Chrome, like on Chromium Project, it, it, it updates all the time and browsers that, that feed off it update all the time. So not surprising that it's gone up from 150 uh, since then. I guess this is just the one that Google felt they should actually say, look, in the wild probably means somebody somewhere has done something naughty with this. You know, the, reading between the lines, we have seen cases before where vendors have said, somebody somewhere has done something naughty with this and then you know you might get words like a targeted attack and you kind of imagine that whoever knew about this was desperately trying to keep it to themselves yeah you know because they were using it for nefarious purposes 
So then you can understand that there might be a good reason why law enforcement, if they weren't the ones using it, uh, that they might actually want a little bit of breathing space where they can actually try and home in on the people who used it. Because if everybody knows about the bug and everybody's exploiting it, it's hard to find out who the who the sort of initial perpetrators might have been. So there may be some of that in it too. All right, that's Chrome Zero Day Browser Bug Found patch now on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Okay, let's talk about Mozilla in a segment we like to call technology etymology. You may know Mozilla as the nonprofit behind the popular Firefox web browser, but back in 1994, according to the Next Web, quote, when a team at Netscape sat around to think of names for a new browser to take on the National Center for Supercomputing Applications' then-popular Mosaic browser, what they were looking for was something that would crush the competition. What they looked to was Godzilla. <laughs> so they decided to combine the first part of Mosaic, their competitor's browser, mind you, right. with the second part of Godzilla. So Mozilla would be the monster to slay Mosaic. Can you imagine any company doing that now? Crodzilla. Oh. Like Edgezilla. <laughs> Google being like, we want to kill Apple, so we're going to call this app murder. What are you like just taking the yeah. first part of your I don't know, but I love the name Mozilla, though. I always wondered where that name came oh, from. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I love They still have the little uh, logo, which is like the, the kind of uh, Godzilla-like <laughs> beast. Mm -hmm. My advice yeah. to anyone starting a business is just take who's your biggest competitor, the one you really <laughs> want to take down, and steal the first part of their name. And that's some sort of monster <laughs> at the end. I think the best advice these days is find something where nobody owns the domain name yet. Mm -hmm. and then register it. <laughs> That's my advice. <laughs> you know what? I think you've inspired me for like a fun social media post where it's like, what's your what's your browser name? And it's like the, na the yeah. first part of your enemy's name mm -hmm. uh, followed by your favorite monster. That's your browser name. Mm-hmm. So what would it be? Oh, the, the kid you hated most at school. Yeah. The first half of their name. Uh-huh. Um, combined with your favorite superhero slash monster. Yes. Charlie Octopus. Charlie. <laughs> no, it's got to be Choctopus. Choctopus, yeah. That's your one. that's your browser name. Ooh, I like this. See if I can register that domain real quick. <laughs> gets your, is that the browser that gets its tentacles into all your business? Uh -oh. Yeah, and then sticks its like beak in there. That like, you know they have those beaks. No, but if you listeners, if you're listening, can you tell us your browser name? I would love to tweet us at Naked Security. Um, what's your browser name again? It's got to be. is taken. It's got. <laughs> It's got to be the first half of the first name of one of your enemies uh, combined with uh, the latter half of your favorite monster. At me. I want to hear, <laughs> hear more browser names. Fake browser names. Anyway, let's move on to our next segment. We are talking... Now, look, this headline got me to click, that's for sure, because it's talking about my favorite thing in the whole wide world. The headline... Belgium! <laughs> Belgium, how did you know? Researchers. Nah. <laughs> Guys, those are my second and third favorite things. But my first favorite thing is free coffee. And the headline this week is free coffee. Belgian researcher hacks prepaid vending machines. Uh, so 
again, my second favorite thing, Belgium, a uh, Belgian cybersecurity Just researcher. Just to be clear, I, I, wasn't being, I wasn't being facetious about Belgium when I said that. <laughs> I'm just saying it because I, I accidentally had the headline when I first published the article. I saw the guy's name and it looks like a Dutch language name. And I actually had for a short while up there on Naked Security, free coffee, Dutch researcher. Mm. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. I did get taken to task and I fixed it pretty jolly quickly it's all i'm saying and i'm sorry it's all it good again much I respect hope. to the dutch much respect to uh belgians <laughs> uh so the fact that the guy had a dot be domain name ought to and an address in belgium should have flagged it to for have been you. a clue yeah. but um <laughs> now i know it's okay you'll be all right duck you'll be all right thank you um <laughs> you're doing great so belgian not dutch belgian cybersecurity researcher paul van hoof just published a fascinating and well-written paper about an exploitable hole he found in the payment system used in some Nespresso prepaid coffee machines. I really like Nespresso. Uh, Van Hoof disclosed the flaw back in September 2020, has publicly praised Nespresso in his write-up for its responsiveness in handling the issue, and waited until now to publish his article with Nespresso's blessing. Um, the good, a lot of good news here, but uh, more good news is that Nespresso already has mitigations uh, that coffee vendors can use against this attack, given that it only works against older payment cards that were defeated cryptographically more than a decade ago. So, duck... What's up with this hack? How does it work? Um, should anybody be concerned? I don't think you need to panic about it. I just wrote it up because I particularly liked uh, Paula's article about this uh, because I just thought he wrote it really, really well. It, it's a great if you're interested in getting into things like wireless hacking, in particular NFC. You know that's the technology that credit cards and passports and door cards use. You know the thing that's in your phone that you swipe it near a payment machine, and they make special low-power wireless connection NFC, near-field communication. It just that was he, the cards he was hacking used this NFC wireless technology. It's all over the place. It's the same thing as I say that the chip in your credit card used. And he gave, he gives a, it's a great little story about how you can get into this kind of research. So he details the equipment you need to buy and how he did it. And it's just it's just a well written cheery story with a with a kind of happy ending, uh, as he said. So that's how I wrote it up. Basically, he was looking at the. It, it, the Nespresso, Nespresso apparently make vending machines that work and they'll sell them to, I know you said coffee shops, but of course, in, in at least in the Netherlands, maybe that was what distracted me. A coffee shop is something quite, a shop that sells coffee, um, you know, they might have one of these machines and the idea is you can have a prepaid stored value card the Nespresso card and when you want coffee you come up and you just wave it at the machine and it debits your account by whatever the cost is one euro fifty and dispenses the coffee and you walk off with it and he realized that the Nespresso card he had was using as I say this as he said earlier that outdated NFC chip which had a cryptographic weakness in it it's a chip called uh the MyFair Classic MyFair is a well-known brand of 
NFC card chips. It get M-I-F-A-R-E. It gets its name, obviously, because they're widely used in the transport industry for buses and train tickets. And unfortunately, because this was made many, many years ago, the older chips are less well-powered than the newer chips. So instead of using a well-known, recognised, well-researched, strong encryption algorithm like AES-128, it used a kind of homemade algorithm called Crypto1, which only had 48-bit keys instead of 128-bit keys, and it had some some not enough mixing, mincing, shredding, and liquidizing, as you might call it. And so many years ago, that algorithm was broken, which means that by observing the way the chip works for a little while, you can actually guess the key that's been programmed into the chip, even though you can't extract it from the chip. That's part of the security of it. You burn the key into it, and then... The chip can do encryption with that key, but nobody can read the key out. The problem is you can figure out what the key is by using a whole load of sort of deductive algorithms. And that's what he did. And then so he was able to dump dump the data inside his Nespresso card. And then he bought a coffee and he dumped the data again. And he noticed that only the, the only important bytes in the card that changed were three bytes every time. And what looked like a three-byte positive unsigned integer that went down by a value of 150 150 every time and the coffee he was buying was 1 euro 50 hmm. so it didn't take him long to put 50 and 100 together and get 150 and figure out that he'd figured out the location in the chip where the credit remaining was stored and the whole idea of the chip is because it's supposed to be tamper-proof and because you're not supposed to be able to get the key out, you can't change it yourself. Only the chip can rewrite itself. But, of course, he was able to create a whole new image of the chip and he set the, the three-byte value to FFFFFF hexadecimal, which when you convert that into decimal, you get a value of uh, uh, basically... If you divide by 100 to convert to euros, you get 167,772 euros and 15 cents worth of credit. <laughs> nice. That's a lot of coffee. <laughs> yes, just what <laughs> I want. Yeah. There's a fantastic picture in his, in, his, in his paper where he went up, obviously, with permission uh, of the owner of the machine, maybe even bought one for himself, I don't know. But you see him, <laughs> he, he swiped so. his card against the machine to see whether it would recognise the full credit. And it doesn't, sh- well, it does <laughs> recognise all his credit, but the display only has eight digits. <laughs> so it, actually the display shorted in 100,000 euros. It only shows 67,772 <laughs> euros and 15 cents. <laughs> and you just think, well... It's not the end of the world because it's a kind of closed system. So all he can do is get infinite amounts of coffee. You know, you could you imagine you could just, if you wanted to be a criminal, you could just steal someone's card and go and buy the coffee. Or, or, um, so don't try this. Well, uh, do try this at home, folks. Don't try it anywhere else. But it's a great indication of, you know, firstly, that if you use outdated cryptographic technology that's already been cracked, then somebody is going to find a way around your security, no matter how secure the hardware itself might be. And as I said, it's a it's a great paper for explaining to you how you can get into this kind of security research yourself if you're interested. But like I said, only try this at home. Not that I'm looking to get into cybercrime, <laughs> but you know, like some people, it's like, oh, this person is handy or this person can work on cars or this person's really good at this kind of thing. 
this is kind of a this could be a thing, a victimless crime. I'm just <laughs> I'm not speaking for myself, but like, yeah, okay, I, I'm not handy. I can't fix up when I got to call a plumber every time the toilet gets clogged. But like, yeah, I just have free coffee at this place down the street for life. <laughs> yeah, that's not victimless at all, is it? No, it's that not. Person running the shop. That's what I say. Not that I'm looking at the cyber crime. <laughs> Yeah. That's why don't try this on somebody no. else's device, even if you figure out how it works. But it's a good reminder that, you know, when we get these these big alerts that say, you know, your browser says, I'm going to stop supporting MD5 or I'm not going to allow a certificate signed by SHA-1 anymore or we're not going, you know, back in 2001, was it, when we said we're not going to use DES encryption anymore because it only has 56-bit keys, something that we knew was inadequate even in the 90s then we're going to switch to AES, which has a minimum of 128-bit keys. Basically, sometimes you just have to move with the times because, as cryptographers like to say, and as we have said on the podcast before, cryptographic attacks only ever get faster. I do like, too, I like these uh, research projects that don't involve having the machinery uh, uh, to yourself like he didn't have to bring home this coffee machine he just figured out the card you can still do this kind of research just to learn how things like nfc cards work and all the different brands and learn what the features are exactly the same with things like the the yubico security keys that we've talked about before uh you know even if your goal is not to figure out oh i want to work out a hack where i can alter the card just learning at a hardware level, how the technology works and how it's supposed to protect itself is a fantastic learning exercise and well worth doing. Mm-hmm. And it's quite cool to wave a, you know, you wave a, you wave a, an old Dutch train ticket, for example, because in the Netherlands, if you buy a single train ticket, it's just a little cardboard ticket, it is, it does have an NFC chip inside it. It's like a super cheap sort of cardboard laminated chip uh, called a MyFair Ultralight. And so if you've got one of those, you can actually use it to explore you know, what's going on in cards without putting anybody, including yourself, at risk or without running the risk of blowing up a a train ticket that was supposed to last you till the end of the quarter. Well, if you enjoyed that story or you just like coffee or Belgium or researchers, you can check out our article, which combines three of those things. Free coffee, Belgian researcher hacks prepaid vending machines on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All right. Pearl.com was taken over by someone, and it remained that way for two weeks. Now it's back. This story is a psychoerotic thriller indeed, and it's still (laughs) ongoing. Well, sort of. The the good news is that the Pearl.com guys got their domain back, and it's now running as normal. Uh, Now, we don't know exactly how this ripoff was perpetrated. I'm assuming it was a ripoff. Uh, and I don't want to speculate because I'm I'm hoping to talk to the guy who coordinated the, the PR side of this whole Pearl.com domain hack uh, later in the week to find out what happened. And I figured, if you'll pardon the Pearl joke, I'd rather hear it from the camel's mouth than just speculate, you know, did they guess a password? Did someone get fished? Did someone bribe someone? Whatever it was. I want to hear them tell it. And then they can advise the steps that they went through to get the domain back. But basically, it's sort of, if you like, the most extreme sort of web hack that can happen to a business. You'd imagine if someone, if you've got a web server and someone hacks into it and changes some of the content and that's all they can do, that's bad, right? They can put malware on there. They can put 
flaming skulls on the homepage. They can put stupid comments that make your company look bad and say to everyone, hey, we pwned the server. So it's not a good look for anybody. But imagine if you show up to your domain and your, in this case, pearl.com that you've owned for 30 years, and you suddenly find it belongs to somebody else. You know, the physical analogy is it's like showing up at your place of business. Say you have a say you have a shop and you go there and the lights are off. All the windows have got paper over them so no one can see what's inside. It's still got your name outside in lights, except the lights are turned off. The key doesn't work in the door. And you think, that's weird. Someone's squatting in there. And you go off to your landlord and you say, we must do something about this. And then your landlord turns around and said, look, here's the bad news. You're not the tenant. We're not even the landlord anymore. Like some, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can imagine there's a, there's a, the, this isn't just, oh dear, we've got to restore the server from backup situation. This is a kind of a land grab, if you like. And uh, we don't quite know what the people who took the domain over were thinking, or how, like I said, how they did it. Um, you'd imagine in this case, you've got a popular domain. Your first thought is, hey, I'm going to use it. I'm going to make it look the same, but I'm going to stick loads of malware on there and infect people, or I'm going to use it to fish for passwords. It seems that they just set it to a, they literally set it to, like someone mentioned, papered over windows in a in a store that someone's squatting in. Um, it's like they just just a blank looking web page. That's what is, I found that, so interesting is that like yeah. you you have the screenshot in the article and it's literally nothing. It's like a white doesn't even have HTTPS. It doesn't even have like That's a joke or anything to show that you know what I mean. Something I it's bizarre. Like so, one can only assume that the idea is they want people to think okay, well, because Pearl dot com is not pearl.org which is the, the the sort of main page for the pearl language itself but pearl.com is a sort of commercial site that but that is a venerable part of the pearl community run by venerable gurus in the pearl world and so maybe the idea was that people would go there and they'd see it and they'd think good gracious they've gone out of business or they've closed up shop after all these years. Well, four-lettered domain names in the .com domain, they're really rare. They're really valuable. They don't come up terribly often, particularly a well-known one that's a word you can say aloud. I wonder if it's for sale. And for some reason, you normally when that happens, you know, when a domain expires and someone buys it up, they put a you know, you've seen them, the domain parking pages that said, hey, guys, this domain may be for sale. Why don't you make us an offer? Um, but they didn't do that, although apparently, according to uh, uh, the journalists at The Register, which is a well-known UK sort of satirical IT news site, they went looking uh, just before I wrote the article on Naked Security, and they found that there was a, a domain name broker was offering Pearl.com for sale, according to them, for 190000 US dollars. Mm. By the time I went to look, which was just like the morning after, um, it, no one was advertising it anymore. So I don't know whether somebody got worried <laughs> because maybe they picked the wrong domain to pick on, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, imagine if you're a business and you've bought a domain and you're, you know, you've got your website set up because that's the only way you can survive in coronavirus days. And then you come along and it's simply... It's like if it gets hacked, that's bad, right? But you can apologize and you can fix it. But imagine you just find like complete lockout. Like, wow. 
Anyway, they, the good news is that the thing that I do know, and I think we can say because it's fairly obvious um, without trying to say how this happened, is my understanding is that the, Pearl Do- the guys in the Pearl.com community, what they did was when, when they, they're going to write this up, but just the, the way they did it is brilliant. They, everybody took on a particular task, like the guy I've been talking to. He was, I'll deal with the, the sort of liaising with the world and telling the story, making people aware and publishing the stuff that tells everyone what's going on. So very quickly, everyone picked up a task that would help them sort this out. And as a result, they were able to get the domain name all of this shenanigans reversed surprisingly quickly yeah. and they didn't have to spend you know seven months in court and three months here basically if you need to do uh some kind of breach or hack response the better you've practiced the more you've prepared the better you've rehearsed and the earlier and the sooner you give a small team of people clear tasks for each person to go away own and do the more likely you are you will have a good result quickly. And that's exactly what seems to have happened in this case. So although that's all very theoretical at this stage, it does seem that their response was a model one. They told everybody, they fixed it, they went to the Pearl.org guys who set up another way of getting to that content so it wasn't completely orphaned. So you you couldn't type in Pearl.com, obviously, but they found another way there. They let everybody know and everybody went about their task of let's go and fix this in a well-defined way result. So well done to them. I wonder how long it took for them to realize that the domain had been kind of stolen from them. Because you go and there's a blank right. page. Anyone that's done web development, you're like, oh, God, something crashed. Right. Something's bad. If My understanding just- is they realized PDQ. In other words, they they didn't wait until someone told them. They also they were monitoring to the point that you know their own operations guys went, uh-oh, yeah. something's wrong. And it's not just that the servers crashed or that we forgot to pay the bill at the web hosting company or something like that. It was pretty obvious what had gone on. So that way, then they're able to go, right, how do you fix this? Let's us, let's divvy up the tasks. Let's get somebody to own each one, and let's go out and fi- you know get a workaround, tell the world, and fix it all at the same time, minimum fuss. You know, that, that's hard to do well because most companies kind of, you, you, you hope it never has to happen to you. So it's obviously not the thing that gets a lot of practice. But like those fire alarm tests where you are forced to evacuate the building in real life, if you ever had a fire, they would come in real handy. Because when I worked at South Australia, we were on the 11th floor. And twice a year, we had to evacuate and you had to go down the stairs. And the first couple of times I thought, what's the point of this? And then I realized, you know what? It's actually dark and it's long and basically after I'd done it a few times I felt a lot more confident Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I would do it without tripping up or without getting so scared I would freeze if I ever had to do it for real yeah and it's exactly the same with dealing with cyber emergencies that you you can't really rehearse enough practice enough also four-letter domain names if you're thinking of registering gorm.com it's taken (laughs) it looks like from the geocities era I think the last four letter dot com Yeah, they're all taken, aren't they? Went sometime in about the the what you might call the, the early late nineties. Yeah. I think it was like nineteen ninety six or something, they were all gone by then. Doug dot com wow. gone. It's got no? some sort of flash intro that doesn't even load anymore. <laughs> 
can I ask like a basic question about someone who's like semi-owned a domain before? Like, it feels like domains are too easy. Like the security around uh, to get a domain from someone, it just feels too, am I being basic? But like, it feels like it's too easy. I think the answer, Kimberly, is that uh, there are sort of two sides to that question, I think, you know, not not being a domain administrator myself. But I think there, there are two issues. One is, if you're, like you say, sort of semi-owning a domain, that if you've just gone to a web hosting company and you said, hey, set up a domain, I'd like to have, you know, Doug makes jokes about DougGorm.com and they go fine, then you actually need to worry about, well, who in the end, who owns that domain? Who's got the right Right. to transfer it to somebody else or to switch registrar? Because if the web hosting company did, you know, if you fall out with them, like, do you actually own it? And the other thing is that, you know, if somebody's able to, for example, to fish your password that where you log into the management portal for the domain and say, oh, I want to switch to a new registrar, I want to make the domain point somewhere else, that's a very common attack that cyber crooks use. Mm. Yeah. If they can get into your right. domain name record, they'll jump in and where they see your name, they'll type in their own IP number, for example. And until you notice and can get back in and fix it, anyone who goes to your site by name or clicks a link to your site will end up on their site. And, you know... So you need to be really careful about how well you protect that. Two-factor authentication obviously increases your protection. And most companies that look after domain name registration, they will provide all sorts of protections these days that you can enable. Some are on by default. My understanding is some are not. That kind of complicate the, the, the mechanism of switching a domain from one provider to another in much the same way that with your mobile phone company, you can put barriers in place that make it much less convenient for you to switch to do a SIM swap when you buy a new phone, but but you have to jump through some hoops, but it makes it very much harder for a crook to do it. And you'd need to do the same kind of thing for your domain name because it is kind of like the SIM card in your phone, right? It's, it's, It's your online identity if you like yeah i have a i have a handful of domains and the process for transferring them has gotten (laughs) believe it or not has gotten a little bit better it's harder which is good okay that's good essentially it depends i think it depends on the registrar but you if i want to transfer to someone else we both have to communicate first and then um this person is given an unlock code that they give to me and then i give them an unlock code so it's these special codes you have to go oh. back and forth but if, if i were to get fished or if someone were to grab hold of my email that that's right. that's a way you could do it wow so yeah one- Doug's right it's you know that that inconvenience it sounds annoying but actually it's, it's one of those cases where a, like with two-factor authentication a little bit of inconvenience for you makes it very much harder for the crooks. Yeah, you used to be able to log in and just be like, I want I want to send it to this person that's theirs. And you didn't have to talk to anyone, which was great because when you're transferring a domain name for some to someone, it's generally because you got fired from running that site. 
and, and so it's awkward. So and so it now the, we know now why this you've new transferred system, domains several times. Yeah. So because because I used to do this for a living, and then when I got when I like got regular jobs and careers, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. But you then you have to interface with these people that are like, well, give me the code, and I'll give you my code, and I don't know what's how's it going. Tell me. Then they start asking you questions like, what's the what's going on with this? Then they ask you questions about this site that you you built yeah. ten years and you're ago. Like, yeah. I so, don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I guess, Doug, the, the important thing there is actually, you know, in your position, if when you were building a website for somebody, it's actually very good to, uh, to, to have a formalized way and build it into your deal of handing over the domain afterwards yeah. if you're responsible for setting it up because it kind of it protects you from complaints and criticism later, doesn't it? That, oh, you went in and messed with it. If you can't access the domain anymore because you've handed it over, I guess in the same way that, you know, like a, a property developer, when they've finished the apartment you're buying and they, they hand over the keys to you and and they, they hand over the paperwork and the, the deeds that say it's yours now. And that means that, well, if it gets broken into from that time on, it's kind of that's something that you could have dealt with rather than you just relying on them doing everything. It can get sticky too because like there's a domain I used to own for this nonprofit that now has people internally to run it and they went with this other I was happy to hand it off, but I'm still so when you register a domain you have an owner of the domain then you have a technical contact. So they're now the owner of the domain but they never took me off as the technical contact. And so I contact oh several and times. And you can't go back in anymore. No, you and don't I'm like, please change this to someone else because I'll be like, I'll get this like your domain is about to expire. Or the the oh, site no. went down, stuff like that. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. But yeah. you can't you can't take yourself off a domain oh. that you're still on as the technical contact. See, this is what I mean, though. It feels like that. It feels like the processes are very basic, right? Like yeah. it should be more advanced than this. But. Yes. Uh, Look, I don't right. have the answers. I don't have the answers. I'm just complaining about lack of security for these domains. Rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> Still a little behind the times. Oh, God. Well, uh, look, we are towards the end of our episode. So that means it's time for Doug is like rubbing his hands together in anticipation for the oh no of the week. Home pup writes... Years ago, my department received word from our security department that we had a PC on our building's network that was hitting their virus honeypot subnet. So the search began. All they could give us was an IP address and a computer name, which we didn't recognize. We combed through the entire building, room by room, and took it as an opportunity to inventory everything in the building and found a few PCs hidden under professor's desk and in their closets, but no luck finding the one that was spewing nasties onto our network. Security had already killed the network jack, so we figured someone would complain eventually, but no dice. We finally had to give up the search, scratching our heads that no one would miss it. Fast forward to about a year later, the media library for our building was undergoing renovations, and the new manager of that area contacted us about possibly fixing the network on a computer they were intending to use to keep a database of their books and media. It was in a vault. A large room-sized vault, one that we didn't even know existed nor had access to. Oh my so, god! So it's at, the Twilight Zone. So Area Fifty Three or something. So as we're checking on this ancient PC and marveling at how there was even a network cable drilled through the vault walls, it dawns on us: it's the missing diseased PC. Oh. They hadn't opened the vault in years, nor knew what was inside. 
crazy that the most secure systems are still vulnerable. It really is true that the only way to keep a computer safe is to unplug the network cable. It, it stayed it stayed running the whole time too. <laughs> the power never went out, or like, and you literally couldn't fix it because it was so secure. Oh <laughs> my god! And had been removed from the maps, and the signpost removed. It's like something out of Douglas Adams, you know, the missing staircase. Beware of the leopard. It's so good. Wow. Um, how many years was it in there that they didn't know? Uh, I don't know how many years they knew it was in there. They just said they hadn't opened the vault in years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've got to bet it's run. It was running XP on ninety five. So yeah. it, you know, it could <laughs> have been definitely. decades, right? Oh my yeah. god, that's amazing. It, I mean, to a point where they didn't, they weren't even aware that this vault existed. I wonder what else. I'd love to know what else was in there <laughs> <laughs> that they found, like like a sort of time capsule. <laughs> Actually, this reminds me of a story I read. I think it was on the BBC website, but apparently someone at, is it the McMurdo US base in Antarctica? They decided they were going to remodel part of a building that's been there for ages. And so they were removing some ancient uh, lockers, you know, where people would change their clothes. And they stripped the stuff out and behind one of the lockers, they found a wallet and when they opened the wallet, it had like this guy's driving license and his Navy ID and stuff. And he'd, uh, as far as I remember, he'd lost the wallet in something like 1946. Oh my God. Wow. And they tracked him down and he's still living in California wow. and they reunited wow. with it. It's going, golly, I wondered where that went. <laughs> All these years. Oh, with I mean, his ID inside, you mind? So, you know, just a reminder of why why encryption's important. So, there's still a chance I'll find my wallet that fell out of the <laughs> hole in my pocket in the Edina High School parking lot in 1995. There's still a chance. That prompted me actually to wear a wallet after that with a chain on it, which was a really unfortunate occurrence. But I felt it had to that be is done. Very unfortunate. And then you lost the chain. <laughs> well, I, I lost the chain when I wanted to start talking to girls. I, I figured it would it wasn't a good look. Yeah. Um, if only we could time capsule this moment with like a poem or something. Mm, good, good idea. Computers back in yesteryear were never very good. They'd run for hours, but not for days. They'd crash because they could. They'd crash if you stood still too long. They'd crash if you walked by. They'd crash if you just looked at them. There was no reason why. But if you lock a PC up and leave the thing to rot and wait ten years for it to crash, I tell you, it will not. Love it. So true. <laughs> yeah. Make sure that the, your building plans show all those hidden vaults. Yeah. Imagine if they had opened it up and there was like someone, in f like you know, like a skeleton. Yeah. In front of it. I mean, Next it could to happen, the computer. Right? Sorry, that's a rather dismal way to end the podcast. Yeah. Like golly, if you've forgotten about a vault. <laughs> also, the idea of a vault that you can drill, that, hey, it's so secure, we'll drill a hole in it and put a cable <laughs> oh my through. God. It, it, like, everything's wrong in that story. I just need to know what that computer was for. I just want to know. And why yeah. was it locked in a vault? There's so many. Oh, God. The we need to get unsolved mysteries on the yeah, case. Yeah, this is a new Netflix series for sure. <laughs> this is a new Netflix docuseries where we go down the rabbit hole of the mystery of the vaulted PC. Guys, if you have the an. The vaulted virus spreading PC, yeah. no less. Oh, my. Man, 
If you have an oh no for us, you can DM us. We're on all the social platforms at Naked Security. You can leave us an anonymous comment on any of our articles on nakedsecurity.sophos.com. You can even find me. Someone found me on Reddit. I didn't think anybody would look for me on Reddit, but you can find me on Reddit. I'm not great at it, but I will try. Uh, it's oh no, it's Kim. That's my username. O O H. Uh, no, it's Kim. And you can hit me up on Reddit if you've got a funny story. But of course, if you liked anything you listened to, you can uh, read all the articles on nakedscary.sofos.com. And you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you just so want to do so. Which you do. Yeah. I mean, I want you to do so. But until next time, stay, stay secure. That's Gorm for you. You know what I mean?